Chapter Twenty of the Hour of the Dragon by Robert E. Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty. Out of the dust shall Acheron arise. Winter had passed from Aquilonia. Leaves sprang out on the limbs of trees, and the fresh grass smiled to the touch of the warm southern breezes. But many a field lay idle and empty. Many a charred heap of ashes marked the spot where proud villas or prosperous towns had stood. Wolves prowled openly along the grass-grown highways, and bands of gaunt, masterless men slunk through the forests. Only in Tarantia was feasting and wealth and pageantry. Valerius ruled like one touched with madness. Even many of the barons who had welcomed his return cried out at last against him. His tax-gatherers crushed rich and poor alike. The wealth of a looted kingdom poured into Tarantia, which became less like the capital of a realm than the garrison of conquerors in a conquered land. Its merchants waxed rich, but it was a precarious prosperity, for none knew when he might be accused of treason on a trumped-up charge, and his property, confiscated, himself cast into prison or brought to the bloody block. Valerius made no attempt to conciliate his subjects. He maintained himself by means of the Numidian soldiery and by desperate mercenaries. He knew himself to be a puppet of Almaric. He knew that he ruled only on the sufferance of the Numidian. He knew that he could never hope to unite Aquilonia under his rule and cast off the yoke of his masters, for the outland provinces would resist him to the last drop of blood. And for that matter, the Numidians would cast him from his throne if he made any attempt to consolidate his kingdom. He was caught in his own vice. The gall of defeated pride corroded his soul, and he threw himself into a reign of debauchery, as one who lives from day to day without thought or care for tomorrow. Yet there was subtlety in his madness, so deep that not even Almaric guessed it. Perhaps the wild, chaotic years of wandering as an exile had bred in him a bitterness beyond common conception. Perhaps his loathing of his present position increased this bitterness to a kind of madness. At any event, he lived with one desire, to cause the ruin of all who associated with him. He knew that his rule would be over the instant he had served Almaric's purpose. He knew, too, that so long as he continued to oppress his native kingdom, the Numidian would suffer him to reign, for Almaric wished to crush Aquilonia into ultimate submission, to destroy its last shred of independence, and then at last to seize it himself, rebuild it after his own fashion with his vast wealth, and used its men and natural resources to wrest the crown of Numidia from Tarascus. For the throne of an emperor was Almaric's ultimate ambition, and Valerius knew it. Valerius did not know whether Tarascus suspected this, but he knew that the king of Numidia approved of his ruthless course. Tarascus hated Aquilonia with a hate born of old wars. He desired only the destruction of the Western Kingdom. 
and Valerius intended to ruin the country so utterly that not even Almaric's wealth could ever rebuild it. He hated the baron quite as much as he hated the Aquilonians, and hoped only to live to see the day when Aquilonia lay in utter ruin and Taraskus and Almaric were locked in hopeless civil war that would as completely destroy Nemedia. He believed that the conquest of the still defiant provinces of Gunterland and Pointain and the Bassonian marches would mark his end as king. He would then have served Almaric's purpose and could be discarded. So he delayed the conquest of these provinces, confining his activities to objectless raids and forays, meeting Almaric's urges for action with all sorts of plausible objections and postponements. His life was a series of feasts and wild debauches. He filled his palace with the fairest girls of the kingdom, willing or unwilling. He blasphemed the gods and sprawled drunken on the floor of the banquet hall, wearing the golden crown and staining his royal purple robes with the wine he spilled. In gusts of bloodlust, he festooned the gallows in the market square with dangling corpses, glutted the axes of the headsmen, and sent his Nemedian horsemen thundering through the land, pillaging and burning. Driven to madness, the land was in a constant upheaval of frantic revolt, savagely suppressed. Valerius plundered and raped and looted and destroyed until even Almaric protested, warning him that he would beggar the kingdom beyond repair, not knowing that such was his fixed determination. But while in both aquilonia and nemedia men talked of the madness of the king in nemedia men talked much of zaltotun the masked one yet few saw him on the streets of belverus men said he spent much time in the hills in curious conclaves with surviving remnants of an old race dark silent folk who claimed descent from an ancient kingdom Men whispered of drums beating far up in the dreaming hills, of fires glowing in the darkness, and strange chantings borne on the winds, chantings and rituals forgotten centuries ago, except as meaningless formulas mumbled beside mountain hearths in villages whose inhabitants differed strangely from the people of the valleys. The reason for these conclaves none knew, unless it was Orastes who frequently accompanied the Poitanian, and on whose countenance a haggard shadow was growing. But in the full flood of spring a sudden whisper passed over the sinking kingdom that woke the land to eager life. It came like a murmurous wind drifting up from the south, waking men sunk in the apathy of despair. Yet how it first came none could truly say. Some spoke of a strange, grim old woman who came down from the mountains with her hair flowing in the wind and a great gray wolf following her like a dog. Others whispered of the priests of Asura, who stole like furtive phantoms from Gunterland to the marches of Pointain and to the forest villages of the Bosonians. However the word came, revolt ran like a flame along the borders. Outlying Nemedian garrisons were stormed and put to the sword. Foraging parties were cut to pieces. The West was up in arms, and there was a different air about the rising, 
a fierce resolution and inspired wrath rather than the frantic despair that had motivated the preceding revolts it was not only the common people barons were fortifying their castles and hurling defiance at the governors of the provinces bands of bosonians were seen moving along the edges of the marches stocky resolute men in brigantines and steel caps with long bows in their hands from the inert stagnation of dissolution and ruin the realm was suddenly alive vibrant and dangerous so almaric sent in haste for Taraskus, who came with an army in the royal palace in tarantia the two kings and almaric discussed the rising they had not sent for zaltotun immersed in his cryptic studies in the nemedian hills not since that bloody day in the valley of valkia had they called upon him for aid of his magic and he had drawn apart communing but little with them apparently indifferent to their intrigues nor had they sent for arastes but he came and he was white as spume blown before the storm he stood in the gold-domed chamber where the kings held conclaves and they beheld in amazement his haggard state the fear they had never guessed the mind of arastes could hold you are weary arastes said almaric sit upon this divan and i will have a slave fetch you wine you have ridden hard arastes waved aside the invitation i have killed three horses on the road from belverus i cannot drink wine i cannot rest until i have said what i have to say he paced back and forth as if some inner fire would not let him stand motionless and halting before his wondering companions when we employed the heart of Ariman to bring a dead man back to life, Arastas said abruptly, we did not weigh the consequences of tampering in the black dust of the past. The fault is mine and the sin. We thought only of our ambitions, forgetting what ambitions this man might himself have. And we have loosed a demon upon the earth, a fiend inexplicable to common humanity i have plumbed deep in evil but there is a limit to which i or any man of my race and age can go my ancestors were clean men without any demoniacal taint it is only i who have sunk into the pits and i can sin only to the extent of my personal individuality but behind zaltotun lie a thousand centuries of black magic and diabolism an ancient tradition of evil he is beyond our conception not only because he is a wizard himself but also because he is the son of a race of wizards i have seen things that have blasted my soul in the heart of the slumbering hills i have watched zaltotun commune with the souls of the damned and invoked the ancient demons of forgotten acheron i have seen the accursed descendants of that accursed empire worship him and hail him as their archpriest i have seen what he plots and i tell you it is no less than the restoration of the ancient black grisly kingdom of acheron what do you mean demanded amalric acheron is dust there are not enough survivals to make an empire not even zaltotun can reshape the dust of three thousand years you know little of his black powers answered Orastes grimly 
I have seen the very hills take on an alien and ancient aspect under the spell of his incantations. I have glimpsed, like shadows behind the realities, the dim shapes and outlines of valleys, forests, mountains, and lakes that are not as they are today, but as they were in that dim yesterday, have even sensed, rather than glimpsed, the purple towers of forgotten python shimmering like figures of mist in the dark. And in the last conclave to which I accompanied him, understanding of his sorcery came to me at last. While the drums beat, and the beast-like worshippers howled with their heads in the dust, I tell you, he would restore Acheron by his magic, by the sorcery of a gigantic blood sacrifice such as the world has never seen. He would enslave the world, and with a deluge of blood, wash away the present and restore the past. You are mad, exclaimed Taraskus. Mad? Erastus turned a haggard stare at him. Can any man see what I have seen and remain wholly sane? Yet I speak the truth. He plots the return of Acheron, with its towers and wizards and kings and horrors as it was in the long ago. The descendants of Acheron will serve him as a nucleus upon which to build. But it is the blood and the bodies of the people of the world today that will furnish the mortar and the stones for the rebuilding. I cannot tell you how. My own brain reels when I try to understand. But I have seen. Acheron will be Acheron again. And even the hills, the forest, and the rivers will resume their ancient aspect. Why not? If I, with my tiny store of knowledge, could bring to life a man dead three thousand years, why cannot the greatest wizard of the world bring back to life a kingdom dead three thousand years? Out of the dust shall Acheron rise at his bidding. How can we thwart him? asked Taraskus, impressed. There is but one way, answered Arastas. We must steal the heart of Ariman. But I began Taraskus involuntarily, then closed his mouth quickly. None had noticed him, and Arastas was continuing. It is a power that can be used against him. With it in my hands I might defy him, but how shall we steal it? He has it hidden in some secret place, from which not even a Zamorian thief might filch it. I cannot learn its hiding place. If he would only sleep again the sleep of the Black Lotus, but the last time he slept thus was after the Battle of the Valkia, when he was weary because of the great magic he had performed, and the door was locked and bolted, but it swung silently open, and Zaltotun stood before them, calm, tranquil, stroking his patriarchal beard. But the lambent lights of hell flickered in his eyes. "'I have taught you too much,' he said calmly, pointing a finger like an index of doom at Orostes. And before any could move, he had cast a handful of dust on the floor near the feet of the priest, who stood like a man turned to marble. It flamed, smoldered. A blue serpentine of smoke rose and swayed upward about Orastes in a slender spiral. 
and when it had risen above his shoulders it curled about his neck with a whipping suddenness like the stroke of a snake Arastas's scream was choked to a gurgle his hands flew to his neck his eyes were distended his tongue protruded the smoke was like a blue rope about his neck then it faded and was gone and Arastas slumped to the floor a dead man Saltotun smote his hands together and two men entered men often observed accompanying him small repulsively dark with red oblique eyes and pointed rat-like teeth they did not speak lifting the corpse they bore it away dismissing the matter with a wave of his hand saltotun seated himself at the ivory table about which sat the pale kings why are you in conclave he demanded the aquilonians have risen in the west answered amalric recovering from the grisly jolt the death of Arastas had given him the fools believe that conan is alive and coming at the head of a poitanian army to reclaim his kingdom if he had reappeared immediately after valkia or if a rumor had been circulated that he lived the central provinces would have not risen under him they feared your power so but they have become so desperate under valerius's misrule that they are ready to follow any man who can unite them against us and prefer sudden death to torture and constant misery of course the tale has lingered stubbornly in the land that conan was not really slain at valkia but not until recently have the masses accepted it but palantides is back from exile in ophir swearing that the king was ill in his tent that day and that a man-at-arms wore his harness and a squire who but recently recovered from the stroke of a mace received at valkia confirms his tale or pretends to an old woman with a pet wolf has wandered up and down the land proclaiming that king conan yet lives and will, ret and will return some day to reclaim the crown and of late the cursed priest of asura sing the same song they claim that word has come to them by some mysterious means that conan is returning to reconquer his domain i cannot catch either her or them this is of course a trick of tercero's my spies tell me there is indisputable evidence that the potanians are gathering to invade aquilonia i believe that tercero will bring forward some pretender whom he will claim as king conan Tarascus laughed, but there was no conviction in his laughter. He surreptitiously felt of a scar beneath his jupon, and remembered ravens that cawed on the trail of a fugitive, remembered the body of his squire, Aridaeus, brought back from the border mountains horribly mangled by a great grey wolf, his terrified soldiers said. But he also remembered a red jewel stolen from a golden chest while a wizard slept, and he said nothing. And Valerius remembered a dying nobleman who gasped out a tale of fear, and he remembered four kithens who disappeared into the mazes of the south and never returned. But he held his tongue, for hatred and suspicion of his allies ate at him like a worm and he desired nothing so much as to see both rebels and nemedians go down locked in the death-grip but amalric exclaimed 
It is absurd to dream that Conan lives. For answer, Zaltotun cast a roll of parchment on the table. Amalric caught it up, glared at it. From his lips burst a furious, incoherent cry. He read, To Zaltotun, Grand Faker of Nemedia, Dog of Acheron, I am returning to my kingdom, and I mean to hang your hide on a bramble. Conan A forgery! exclaimed Amalric. Zaltotun shook his head. It is genuine. I have compared it with the signature on the royal documents on record in the libraries of the court. None could imitate that bold scrawl. Then, if Conan lives, muttered Amalric, this uprising will not be like the others, for he is the only man living who can unite the Aquilonians. But, he protested, this is not like Conan. Why should he put us on our guard with his boasting? One would think that he would strike without warning, after the fashion of the barbarians. We are already warned, pointed out Zaltotun. Our spies have told us of preparations for war in Poitain. He could not cross the mountains without our knowledge, so he sends his defiance in characteristic manner. Why to you? demanded Valerius. Why not to me or to Tarascus? Zaltotun turned his inscrutable gaze upon the king. Conan is wiser than you, he said at last. He already knows what you kings have yet to learn. That it is not Tarascus, nor Valerius, no, nor Amalric, but Zaltotun, who is the real master of the western nations. They did not reply. They sat staring at him, assailed by a numbing realization of the truth of his assertion. "'There is no road for me but the Imperial Highway,' said Zaltotun. "'But first we must crush Conan. I do not know how he escaped me at Belveris, for knowledge of what happened while I lay in the slumber of the Black Lotus is denied me. But he is in the south gathering an army.' It is his last desperate blow, made possible only by the desperation of the people who have suffered under Valerius. Let them rise. I hold them all in the palm of my hand. We will wait until he moves against us, and then we will crush him once and for all. Then we shall crush Pointain and Gunderland and the stupid Bossonians. After them, Ophir. Argos, Zingara, Koth, all the nations of the world we shall wield into one vast empire. You shall rule as my satraps, and as my captains shall be greater than kings are now. I am unconquerable, for the heart of Ahriman is hidden where no man can ever wield it against me again. Tarascus averted his gaze lest Zaltotun read his thoughts. He knew the wizard had not looked into the golden chest with its carven serpents that had seemed to sleep since he laid the heart therein. Strange as it seemed, Zaltotun did not know that the heart had been stolen. The strange jewel was beyond or outside the ring of his dark wisdom. 
his uncanny talents did not warn him that the chest was empty Tarascus did not believe that Zaltotun knew the full extent of Orastus's revelations, for the Pythonian had not mentioned the restoration of Acheron, but only the building of a new earthly empire. Tarascus did not believe that Zaltotun was yet quite sure of his power. If they needed his aid in their ambitions, no less he needed theirs. Magic depended, to a certain extent, after all, on sword strokes and lance thrusts the king read meaning in omalric's furtive glance let the wizard use his arts to help them defeat their most dangerous enemy time enough then to turn against him there might yet be a way to cheat this dark power they had raised end of chapter 20